On this episode of Frogs Insider, Melissa sits down with Brian Howell of BuffZone.com to get the latest intel on TCU's Week 1 opponent, Colorado. Plus, realignment news, who survived NFL Cut Day, dumb article feedback, and I answer all of your questions. Let's go! Welcome into Frogs Insider. I am Jamie Plunkett, one of your hosts for this show. You'll notice that Melissa Trebowasser is not with me currently. She will be along shortly. Talk to Brian Howell of BuffZone.com to buckle down and preview Colorado for us this week. Uh, We are a part, though, before we get into all of that, of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network. You can find our podcast on any of those Republic of Football Network streams, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get this show at the Frogs Insider exclusive streams on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as other places. And if you're watching this right now on the YouTube channel, thank you for doing that as well. A little bit of housekeeping about all of that stuff. Please hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. It's completely free. You can get a notification every time we send some new content that direction. Uh, Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about the shows, what you think about the content we're producing, all of that kind of stuff. That really helps us out. Uh, And if you're listening wherever you get your podcasts, go ahead and hit that review button. Leave us a rating. Make sure you're following the channel. Um, That stuff really, really helps us out. We've seen... Some awesome growth over the last couple of months uh, since we switched over to Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Very excited about the growth we're seeing. Very thankful for each and every one of you that listens on a weekly basis, that interacts with the content on YouTube and on Instagram and on TikTok, wherever you might catch it. Very, very thankful for all of you. The more you interact with that stuff, the more uh, there's an opportunity for that stuff to get in front of other TCU fans. And we want every TCU fan to know that they have a space at Frogs Insider to talk about the Horn Frogs, talk about the teams and players that they love so much. So thank you in advance for liking the show, for sharing the show with a friend, for hitting that subscribe button and doing all of the all of the stuff that helps us get in more Horn Frog ears. We really, really do appreciate you doing that. A big shout out as well to our show sponsors, Hell's Half Acre and Homefield Apparel. You'll hear more about them later on in the episode, but I just wanted to name them both at the top as well. Um, and last little thing here right off the top, we're trying a little bit of a different format for these midweek previews. Melissa is going to sit down with people who cover TCU opponents to find out more about those teams every week. And I'm going to do more of the midweek news, notes, stuff, answer your questions, mailbag kind of stuff. Uh, maybe get into some picks and some betting stuff as well. Um, this part is uh, just because, like, you know, for us from a scheduling standpoint, makes life a little bit easier because she's a uh, she's a teacher she's a flag football coach as you well know now that season's ramping up I'm, I got a full-time job I'm a dad right we've got all this other stuff going on and so in the midweek sometimes scheduling the two of us could be a little bit challenging this allows us to make sure that we're getting you this midweek preview every single week I think it's a cool format it's a little bit different from our from our Monday show so there's some variety from week to week um, and plus, like I said, the scheduling standpoint, it, it, it's it's pretty helpful from that standpoint as well. But uh, that's enough of that. That's enough of the off-the-top stuff. Let's jump in. Because there was some realignment news this week. You might have missed it. If you're not on hornfrogblitz.com, you definitely missed it. 
so make sure that you're subscribed over there for football season because you're going to get more TCU football insider information from Jeremy Clark and myself than you're going to get anywhere else. We'll bring a lot of it to this podcast, but there's some stuff that we just don't always cover on the week-to-week here on the show that you're going to want access to. You're going to have access to the biggest TCU Horn Frog community over there as well at Horn Frog Blitz, and right now it's 50% off. So make sure you sign up for that. Don't miss out on anything for the TCU football season. But one of the things that we were talking about over there on the site this week and last week was conference realignment. It's been a topic of conversation for all summer. It seems like this type time of year, it's it's a it, it's been normalized that we're just going to talk about realignment every single summer with teams moving to different conferences. And we've obviously seen a lot of that this year uh, with the Big Twelve adding four new members and then inviting four new members on top of that. With the Big Ten getting bigger, with the Pac twelve essentially dissolving. And lately, there's been conversation around Stanford and Cal joining the ACC along with SMU. Um, The details of that have started to leak out where Stanford and Cal would take lower rates per year. SMU is uh, reportedly foregoing seven years of conference revenue to uh, TV dollars uh, revenue to help uh, sweeten the deal for other schools like Clemson and Florida State to give them a little bit larger cut of the pie. Um, all of that has been leaking out into the media, and, and that that stuff's obviously ongoing with the ACC. But uh, there were some interesting tweets from some national writers. Brett McMurphy was one. Nicole Auerbach was another. Uh, two folks who have been really on top of of realignment news this this cycle, um, saying that the Big Twelve is not. Uh, has no plans to expand it. The Big 12 uh, is not interested in, in Stanford and Cal. They have had no conversations with Stanford and Cal. Uh, and it seemed like an odd little news break in the midst of all of the Stanford and Cal to the ACC news that's been ongoing for the last couple of weeks. And here's why, here's why those tweets happened. It's because late last week, uh, the Big 12 and Stanford did start – start some conversations again. They, they've had a couple rounds of these conversations now where there was an opportunity maybe for Stanford and Cal to come to the Big 12 instead of going to the ACC. Those conversations were relatively short-lived this time around, but the idea that started these conversations up this time around was that ESPN would potentially rather pay Cal and Stanford their Big 12 share of the TV revenue, which is roughly $20 million a year annually, than pay what they would have to pay to add Cal and Stanford and SMU to the ACC, which is reportedly as much as $75 million annually. So 40 versus 75 is a pretty big gap between those two numbers. Uh, and it seemed like ESPN would prefer to pay the lower of those two, especially, you know, we know this isn't the last round of realignment. We don't know what ESPN has on the books or has planned for future media deals with other leagues and everything like that. They got to keep some powder dry. But at the end of the day, uh, I think those conversations fell apart pretty quickly because Stanford has had a consistent hang-up with BYU being in the Big 12. Baylor is a little bit of, of uh, a hindrance to those conversations as well, but BYU is, is the big sticking point. And I think Melissa and I have talked about this on the show before where you know Stanford was a big reason why BYU never got a Pac-12 invite. And so there's still some tension there. There's still just... Uh, you know, two very dramatically different universities and institutions with two different goals, two different outlooks on the world uh, that, uh, you know, Stanford kind of has has an issue with with some of that. Um, 
And, you know, you combine that with some of the profiles of some ACC schools like Notre Dame and North Carolina. And, you know, I think that makes a little bit more sense from a Stanford standpoint, even though they would be getting probably about $5 million less annually from that TV media deal going to the ACC versus the Big 12. Um, of course, that ACC stuff isn't a lock yet by any stretch of the imagination. They had scheduled a meeting to vote on adding uh, Stanford, Cal, and SMU earlier this week, but uh, that meeting was postponed due to the campus shooting at North Carolina on Monday. And I, I want to take a moment here and pause and just say that my, you know my heart goes out to the North Carolina community, the faculty, the staff, the students, the family members of anybody that was on campus that day or in the days following that shooting. That's um, all too common these days in our country on our school campuses, all the way from college down to elementary school. And, um, you know, as someone who has kids in school and who's married to a teacher, it's always kind of a, a a daily, a daily worry, a daily fear of mine that the news is going to break and it's going to be their school the next time around. Um, so my heart goes out to the North Carolina family uh, and community that um, I hope that that the 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 trauma of this event doesn't um, impact you for the rest of your life uh, as it has done for other people in the past. Um, <clears throat> But that was also why the ACC, like I said, postponed their vote. Um, about 24 hours after the vote was postponed, news started to leak out that the ACC still didn't have the votes to even invite Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Um, the bylaws for the conference say they need 12 of the 15 members to vote yes. Right now, they don't have 12. There are four dissenting votes. Those are commonly thought to be Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, and NC State. Um, I don't see any reason why those four schools would switch and, and start voting yes. Um, so the two questions that kind of need answering right now in this regard are, why would the ACC schedule a vote if they know they don't have the votes, unless they just want to get it over with and say, hey, we're going to stop these conversations for now. We don't have the votes. We don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, that might be one reason why they would schedule a vote, even if they didn't think they had the votes needed to, to invite new members. Uh, and then the next question now is, when will they reschedule that vote? The further we get into this football season, the more chaotic any realignment news will be. Uh, the shorter amount of time any other conferences, like say the AAC, if SMU were to leave, would have to make an alternative plan now, Mike Oresco said earlier this week as well that the AAC does have backup plans in, in case SMU decides to go to the ACC. Um, but all of that just becomes even more of a burden once you actually get into football season, which we are now in. So I think it would be in the best interest of the ACC to figure it out. <laughs> just you know, thinking of the Big Cat, uh, Barstool Big Cat gif, figure it out, screaming. Uh, just figure it out and, and, and get there. Make a vote one way or another. Make a decision. Let Stanford and Cal figure out alternatives. Let SMU stay in the AAC if that's what they end up doing. Uh, and just figure it out. From a Big 12 perspective, though, I think this is the last time that the Big 12 flirts with any kind of westward expansion. From what I've been told, this was really kind of the last opportunity that they were going to give to Stanford to explore membership in the league. Um but now that they've gone through these conversations a couple of different times, they've presented their best effort 
and their best offer to Stanford um, to take that twenty million a, a year from from ESPN. Fox, there there was not going to be any kind of pro rata from Fox on this, so they were not going to be full members. They weren't going to get that full cut, but they would get the ESPN cut, which is where that twenty million dollar comes from. Um, so now I think I think the Big 12's gaze is going to start to swing fully east and just kind of see what happens next with the ACC, right? Like there's there's still opportunity for expansion if the ACC breaks up, which uh, at this point I'd say is more likely than not, probably 70-30, 75-25 in, in favor of the conference not making it to its next media deal uh, in 2036. And I've seen some folks talking about SMU and the benefit of going to the ACC, even if they're not taking revenue in the next seven years um, and how things would be different after that seven years. I think that any school in that situation, if they had the financial ability to do so, I think it would be wise to do it. Um, But I don't think that they would ever see a dollar from the ACC as it currently stands because there's no way this thing's lasting seven more years. Absolutely no way. But again, I think if, if you're SMU, you've got to do it, right? Like you've got the money to go and do it, so go and do it. You've got the boosters that said they'll they'll fork up the dollars. I I on paper I can see how they'd make it work. I think that they're not factoring in donor exhaustion into that at all, considering you're funding the entire athletics department at that point. You're trying to make uh, you know, an NIL budget that's competitive with ACC schools, not AAC schools. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're also trying to pay coaches, right? You're trying to pay for travel for all of these teams. You're trying to pay for stadium renovations and for other amenities on campus for student athletes. And the burden there is pretty significant, even if you think about it from the standpoint of, oh, well, they just wouldn't be getting AAC dollars anymore. Well, you're still trying to compete with a Power 4 program, a Power 4 conference, and, and those dollars are much more significant in a lot of different ways. Still think SMU should do it if they get the chance, though. All right, that's enough about expansion. That's enough about conference realignment because it's football season, and I'm tired of talking about realignment. I'm over it. I'll keep talking about it, though, whenever the ACC figures out what the heck they're doing next um, because there will be some implications for the Big 12 and, and for TCU whenever those whenever those decisions get made. But for now, let's move on. Um, before we get into... This week in TCU's game, there are some TCU players at the next level who experienced cut day, and I just want to kind of run through this stuff really quickly to make sure that everyone has an understanding of where TCU Pro Frogs are uh, in the NFL right now. So Max Duggan was cut by the Chargers earlier this week. He was released, um, but he made it through waivers, and he has been re-signed to the LA Chargers practice squad. So he's going to be an LA Charger on the practice squad. I think that's a perfect spot for him right now an opportunity to continue learning under that system. If anything happens to Justin Herbert or Easton Stick, he's right there for them to scoop up and bring on to the 53-man roster. I think that's a really good situation for Max Duggan to be in right now. Um, a guy that wasn't drafted, though, that did make his 53-man roster is Amari DiMercato. Uh, Corey Clement was the running back casualty for Arizona, um, and that let DiMercato make the 53-man roster. He had a really good preseason, scored a couple touchdowns, made some really good runs. Um, and you know, you never want to say like that an injury was a good thing, but Kendra Miller going down early in that Michigan game allowed Amari DiMercato the opportunity to show what he could do on a, on a legitimate national stage. And he made the most of that Michigan game. There's no doubt about it. Um, 
and now he's had the opportunity to, to make the 53-man roster with the Cardinals. That's pretty cool. Another Frogs also on that roster, LJ Collier, also made that roster out in Arizona, so that's pretty neat as well. Uh, D. Winners made the 53-man roster with the 49ers. He and Matt Pryor are the two Horn Frogs out there on that roster. Cavante Turpin made the roster for the Dallas Cowboys, so the the electric punt returner and kick returner is going to be wearing the star on the side of his helmet once again. Alana Lee was waived by the Vikings and signed to their practice squad. Uh, that happened in, in uh, just really before I started hitting record. I'm glad I checked Twitter one more time uh, so that I could drop that note in there that he did get re-signed to the Vikings practice squad. Um, Aviante Collins was waived and signed to the Bears practice squad. Let's see here. Uh, Jalen Rager, Ty Summers, Ben Banigou, Garrett Wallow, Ross Blacklock, Ennis Gaines, and Travin Howard were all waived by their respective teams at the time of this recording, which is Wednesday early evening. Uh, they have not landed on practice squads, but it'll be interesting to see how many of them do or if they're signed elsewhere and, and how that goes for them. Um, best of luck to all of them. And meanwhile, Quentin Johnston, Darius Davis, Steve Avila, Kendra Miller, THT, Dylan Horton, all rookies from TCU that made their rosters. None of those were terribly surprising, but it, it's always good to see. Um, and there are still a good number of Horn Frogs around the league that are on their rosters heading into the season now. Andy Dalton out in Carolina. Joe Noteboom with the Rams. He and, and Steve Avila are both projected to be the starting offensive linemen on the left side of, of that line for the Rams. Um, so that's pretty cool. Two Horn Frogs starting on the O-line in Los Angeles. Ardarius Washington made the roster with the Ravens. Jerry Hughes is with the Texans. Uh, Halapulavati Vaitai is in Detroit with the Lions. Lucas Nyang with the Chiefs. Trey Merrig is primed to have a really, really big season for the Raiders. Uh, and then Austin Schlotman made the 53-man roster as a backup offensive lineman with the Vikings. So that's kind of a quick rundown. Uh, a lot of Horn Frogs survived NFL Cut Day. A lot are still looking for NFL homes. Um, but either way, any way you cut it, it's pretty cool to see this many Horn Frogs playing pro football. Uh, if, uh, you know, always having been kind of the afterthought school, the school that was left out, the school that's had to battle so hard for everything that it has. Uh, you see that come out in the players that it produces. And it's, it's pretty cool to see this many Horn Frogs wearing various NFL helmets these days. Um, it'll be fun to track them again this season. We'll have all of that again over on Horn Frog Blitz and Melissa will do all of that for her Patreon over at patreon.com slash frogs insider as well. So you're going to be well covered when it comes to pro frogs this fall. Um, one last little thing before we get into Melissa's preview. Sonny Dykes had his first game week press conference this week. It was always good to talk to the head man for Horn Frog football. Um, it was about a 20 minute press conference. You can listen, you can watch that whole video right here on this YouTube channel. This is where you're watching this show if you're listening on a podcast again go to the frogs insider youtube channel it's right there you can watch the whole thing you can also see the videos from chandler morris jared wiley and um jamoy hodge uh their media day uh, availability as well for game week um they all they all met with the media on tuesday afternoon as well and, and we've got all of that content up there on the frogs insider youtube channel um couple of notable things about Sonny's press conference. He didn't say anything world, world, uh, otherworldly or groundbreaking or anything like that, but he did say that he felt the team has more depth this year than they did last year. I think the number that he gave was last year he felt like they, they had about a one and a half players of depth 
at every position this year that that feels more like two and a half players of depth at every position. And that seems to have borne out in fall camp with how they rotated guys, especially in the secondary and wide receiver along the offensive line, defensive line as well. You just saw a lot of guys rotating in and out, first team reps, second team reps, some third team reps as well. Uh, seems like a, a much deeper team this year than it was a season ago as Sonny and his staff were still still getting their feet under them uh, and still managed, still managed to make the college football playoff, which is so impressive. Uh, from a, a player perspective, D- uh, Dalen Wright is progressing pretty well. You'll remember that he got here a little bit late into fall camp, had some qualification issues, finishing up some classes at Minnesota, finally got all of his stuff signed off on and approved, and, and he began practicing about two and a half weeks ago now at this point. Um, he's, I've you know been out there a couple times. We Media hasn't been out there in about a week uh, to watch practice, but um, when we did see D- Dalen Wright practicing, he looked good. He looked athletic. Uh, obviously still trying to pick up this offense and, and figure out what his role is and where he can fit into things. Uh, and for that reason, I'm not sure exactly how much of him we'll see this Saturday. He'll be on the field at times for sure, um, but I just don't know how big of a role he's going to have week one. I, I think when we get into the week two against Nichols or against SMU, maybe even at Houston, we'll start to see his role expand depending on what other receivers step up as well. But this is an opportunity for TCU to get another super athletic, big line uh, wide receiver out there who who can do some really impressive things when he gets the ball in his hands. Um, and the last kind of thing that, that stood out from Sonny's press conference, he thinks the Heat will be an advantage for TCU. And, and you know, I don't know that the Heat's necessarily a, a good thing any way you cut it, especially when, you know, yeah, Sonny mentioned during the presser that Jared Wiley lost 17 pounds in a single practice earlier this week. Um, because of the heat. And Wiley was quick to, to remind everyone that he gained all of that weight back in the same day. It was an opportunity to talk about the preparation that the strength and conditioning staff has done, the medical staff has done, to keep TCU players healthy during these extreme heat days. Um, but I think TCU's practice in these heats will give them at least a mental edge in this game on Saturday when the high is supposed to hit 105, 106. And you know the heat index on that field at Amon G. Carter Stadium is going to be even well above that, probably in the low 110s, somewhere around there. Um, just from a mental aspect, not even a physical aspect, the way that you push through some of that heat, uh, TCU will certainly have the advantage there, and their medical staff is well prepared for treating players in the game. Uh, we've talked a lot about nutrition since Sonny Dykes and Kaz Kazadi got here on staff uh, about the, the revolutionary things that they are doing from a nutrition and wellness standpoint and a recovery standpoint. Uh, I have no doubt that they're going to do everything that they can to keep these kids safe uh, in the extreme heat that they're going to be experiencing on Saturday. So <clears throat> let's dive in now, though, to Melissa's interview. Again, she sat down with Brian Howell of BuffZone.com to preview TCU Colorado in week one. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump into that conversation and see what they've got to say. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the midweek edition of the Frogs Insider podcast. I am Melissa Trebowasser, um, and I have the pleasure of welcoming Brian Howell to this Colorado TCU preview. Brian is the beat writer for Buff Zone. He also covers um, multiple sports for the Boulder Daily Camera. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Um, excited to have you on tonight. 
Yeah, first of many, I guess, since uh, we'll be Big 12 rivals. <laughs> yeah, this is a ton of fun. Um, you came down for for Big 12 media days. You booked that trip before, uh, you know, I think we knew officially that Colorado was going to be a part of the conference. And it's a good thing you were there because this is your new home now for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah, it, I went down there knowing that it was a possibility. And then it was about two weeks later that it became a reality. I was like, well, I'm, I'm glad I went down there. So yeah, <laughs> um, and in it, the meantime, it, it's interesting. Yeah, you learned you learned some good barbecue spots too. So yes, you know, I this did. is the important yeah. thing for joining the Big Twelve is knowing where to get the good barbecue. Um, That's right. But before this game becomes a in conference rivalry game, we get to finish the second um, half of a home and home. Uh, last year, TCU went up to Colorado, um, an ugly first half, but a game that ultimately mm-hmm. kind of led to Max Duggan um, becoming the starter quarterback for TCU, starting a magical run for the Horn Frogs as they went 12 and 0 in the regular season. Uh, lost a heartbreaker Big 12 championship, made the college football playoffs, um, and advanced the national championship game. We don't talk about what happened there. Um, <laughs> but it, it's kind of crazy to think of how many dominoes had to fall correctly for that season and how they all started out in Boulder a season ago. Now Colorado comes down to Fort Worth, and they're kind of in position to be kind of this darling team. Maybe not go 12-0 and 0 in the regular season, but obviously have all of the hype, all of the energy around the program with the insertion of Deion Sanders, Coach Prime at the helm. Um, we've seen the impact that Dion has had um, in the off the field, the merchandising, the donors, yeah. the move to the Big 12. You could credit him with that. But there are so many questions as to what his team is going to look like on the field. Part of that might be a new offensive coordinator. Part of that might be a new defensive coordinator. And part of that might be nearly 90 new players on this <laughs> roster from a season ago. Brian, what can you tell us about what the expectations around Colorado are this fall? Well, first of all, I'll say one thing that these two programs have in common is they both gave up more than 60 points in their most recent game. Oh, you know, Colorado- oh you're going to go right there. I, you know, Brian <laughs> saying, was talking no, before this. He's no, going to make this a rivalry. <laughs> I'm just saying, hey, in that last game, TCU knows how Colorado felt about it 11 times last year. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, they gave it like 60, I think it was 63 21 the last game against Utah. But when you ask what to expect, I do not expect that to happen to Colorado. Um, and if it does, it won't be very often. So they're going to be a lot more competitive than they were last year, in my opinion. I mean, I don't expect them to be a great team. I think they could be a bowl team, but this is a team that's going to be competitive. And, you know, they've got a quarterback for the first time in a while. And they've got Travis Hunter, who might be one of the most exciting players in the entire country. Uh, they have Dylan Edwards as a running back that not a lot of people know. He's a true freshman, you know, four star that actually grew up in Dallas, played for uh, Prime as a youth, um, and then moved to Kansas and was going to go to Notre Dame and uh, and then flipped to Colorado. And he's been an electric player um, in fall camp. And so they've got a lot of weapons and exciting guys that are going to make this a much more enjoyable season, I think, for Colorado fans. You brought up Shadur Sanders, and I think that's kind of the key point to start. We saw the difference um, a quarterback can make. We've seen that all across college football. We saw that with TCU a season ago. How much of an adjustment is it going to be for him going from um, Jacksonville State to a Power 5 conference in Colorado? And, you know, he obviously has the skill players. You mentioned running back, wide receiver. Does he have the offensive line to be able to be an effective quarterback this fall? Yeah, well, first off, I don't think the adjustment's going to be a big deal for him. Um, You know, this is a guy that, you know, he wasn't the traditional FCS quarterback, and we have not seen a lot of FCS quarterbacks. I actually went back and looked uh, in the last five years. The only FCS quarterback I could find that went from FCS to a Power 5 starter was Cam Ward at Washington State mm-hmm. last year. Shadour will be the second one, and there's somebody else uh, um, 
Illinois or Purdue or something like that that is going to do that move. Uh, but unlike those others, Shadur had big time offers coming out of high school. I mean, he had power five offers coming out of high school, chose to go to Jackson state to play for his dad. So um, he's a little bit different than that. So he's grown up around big time football. Uh, he, you know, he trains and, and learns a lot from Tom Brady. Uh, the adjustment's not gonna be a big deal for him. Um, does he have the people to pr- uh, block for him? We're going to find out. I mean, that that's one of the biggest question marks about this team is how good is this offensive line? And I don't know. I mean, they've got, five guys that were starters at their colleges last year, but the only two that were uh, at the power five level were at Colorado, which was maybe uh, not maybe, I mean, they were really the, one of the worst offenses in the country. I mean, they were probably bottom five offense in the entire country. Um, so you have two offensive line starters in the power five and they were both from this offense. Now uh, you have a couple guys from Kent state that, um, you know, that's a, that's a jump up from the Mac to, you know, power five. And then they have uh, some guys that were FCS or junior college, all American or all conference players. So accomplished, but at a lower level, uh, that doesn't mean these guys can't play, but we just haven't seen it. And so I don't know how good this group is. So to answer your question, I don't know, <laughs> uh, they think so, uh, but you know, they've been going against themselves all practice or all, all off season. So how are they going to do against TCU against Nebraska against, you know, USC, I don't know, but um, I think that they're confident in that group, but we got to see it. Well, you, you know, you talk about the confidence in a group. When you turn over your roster like that, how much of an impact does that have on just the feeling around a program, the leadership in the locker room? You have all of these guys coming from different places trying to come together and do so. I mean, really, it's it's been kind of like, uh, you know, what do they say? Building the plane while it's in flight, right? That's what it's feel like because it feels like the roster is changing almost every single day up until a couple weeks ago. Do you think that this team can come together enough to, like you said, potentially be in contention for a bowl game? Or is that going to be a learning curve as well? Yeah, and I'll even say it's been even sooner than that. I mean, on Friday, all of a sudden, you know, a new linebacker showed up that was at uh, Arizona State and got kicked off the team two weeks ago. All of a sudden, he showed up at, at practice at Colorado. So uh, they're adding guys even now. Um, they keep telling me that, uh, you know, and, and Prime will tell you that, you know, chemistry, he's not worried about that. He just wants to win. Um, and frankly, from what I've seen, uh, being around these players, and I got to go kind of be around them one day when they were working out in the summer, chemistry is not an issue. These guys have come together, uh, and I think they're all bonding over the fact that they're coming from a, all these different places and going for the same goal. And as far as leadership, I think that, you know, they've this coaching staff has done a good job of, they've really brought in leaders that, and sort of handpicked them. I mean, Shadur Sanders is a leader and that's his son. So he's going to be a leader right off the bat. Travis Hunter, just because of who he is, is a leader and a guy that people are going to listen to. And, you know, if, if you may watch the, the documentary on prime about his time at Jackson state, he had kind of the, the chosen you know, group that he had that he handpicked him and said that you guys are the leaders of this team. He kind of does that. And so uh, it's clear when you watch all, all their videos and everything. There are guys that are prime guys that are like, you know, Dylan Edwards, just even though he's a true freshman, he's a leader. Cam and Summer Craig, Shiloh Sanders on the other side of uh, the field on defense is a leader. So I think these guys are, are leading this team and they're really truly bonding over the fact that, uh, I mean, they have this mentality that everybody thinks we're going to stink. So, you know, they're bonding over that, that they think they're a lot better than people say. You brought up the defense earlier and and how bad of a unit that was a season ago and said that you expect it to be better. I think defense is often the biggest adjustment when you turn things over. I mean, skill players at the end of the day, you're doing the same things. You're just kind of maybe doing them in a different order, but 
rehashing a defensive system, especially with a bunch of strangers, can be a real difficulty. Do you expect uh, this defense to be competitive? What does competitive look like? What do they have to do to let this offense cook? Yeah, I think that is, that's going to be the hardest side of the, of the ball to really see that gel. And I think you're right in that in that regard. Um, I, that's the side I worry about the most. And uh, they're going to be more competitive than last year, I think. I mean, last year they were horrible. I mean, as bad as the offense was, the defense was worse. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, the first half that we've talked about it, you and I have, but like the first half of that game last year in Boulder, you know, I think all of us covering Colorado were like, whoa, this defense is actually pretty yeah. good because TCU couldn't do anything. Then all of a sudden, the second half, TCU just kept handing the ball off, and it was like, "Oh, that's easy," <laughs> you know. And then that's what teams did the rest of the year. And so, uh, you know, TCU discovered something in Colorado and had a, a whole lot of fun that second half of the of that game. But um, this defense will be better because they have better players, and yeah. there's only one starter back from uh, the TCU saw last year, Trevor Woods, and he's their, he was our best player. He's pretty good, but um, I, I do worry about depth. They have a lot of guys that are coming from schools where. Uh, you know, big time schools, but they didn't play a lot. You know, uh, Bishop Thomas was a, a, the scout team player of the year at Florida State last year on the defensive line. Amari McNeil has really looked good in camp. He was a backup at Tennessee last year. Demoy Kennedy, Jaquez Robinson are from Alabama. Good players, but didn't play a whole lot at Alabama. So are these guys going to come together and make a really good defense? I don't think it's going to be a really good defense, but it's not going to give up 45, 46 points a game like they gave up last year. I think if they can keep uh, offenses to around 28 to 30 points a game, uh, then this offense could be good enough to get CU to a bowl game. You know, everybody, you can't talk about Colorado without talking about, you know, the kind of the coach prime effect. And you talked about how he picks his guys, how, you know, he kind of welcomes the extra attention. He likes to put the pressure on guys. That is all well and good in fall camp. It's all well and good at the podium. But when games start, if things don't go well, if this team isn't competitive, is this the type of team that's going to stay kind of rallied around? Is he the type of person that can keep them rallied around? Or I hate to call it a shtick, but it's a coach thing, right? It's kind of a shtick. Is that shtick going to work if this team starts 0-6 or 0-7? Well, we'll find out. Well, I don't know if we'll find out or not. (laughs) We could find out. Um, I I think that's one of the biggest question marks is how he's going to handle it. And, you know, I have watched, um, you know, throughout this offseason, I've gone back and watched some of his press conferences after losses. Um, Actually, somebody told me he doesn't talk after losses. And I went back and found he actually does. Um, And he actually did good after losses. Um, I was there for one of them after the Celebration Bowl. The difference is he was losing two games a year, you know, and so that's a little bit different. you know, if they start, yeah, I mean, if they get blown out in Fort Worth and if they lose their home opener against their big rival, you know, Nebraska, and if they lose to Colorado State at home, you know, things like that, if they start to snowball, it'll be interesting to see. But I think that he is, he has such the backing of these players that I do think he'll find a way to keep them together. Um, he has not experienced a lot of losing, you know, yeah. especially as a coach. Uh, but I think that uh, he is the type of guy that can keep these guys together even through tough times, if they happen to hit this year. you And this just kind of like opened up another line of questioning here is, as you were saying that there's such a cult of personality. And when you look at the transfer portal and NIL and all of these things, and you look at, I, I don't think that anybody around here expects Deion Sanders to be a lifer or anything close to it at Colorado. Right. Is there almost a, a negative to the coach being so responsible for recruiting all of these new players or is it is it kind of a situation where Colorado just needs to kind of 
cash the checks while they can and not worry about the long-term impact. Yeah, I think that's really it for this program right now. I mean, they've been so bad for so long that, uh, you know, I've said it before, um, no program in the country needed a jolt quite like Colorado did. I mean, they were so bad. And last year was really kind of rock bottom. And I mean, this is a program that it it feels like it was a long time ago. (laughs) 33 years ago, they won a national title. Uh, They had a Heisman Trophy winner in 1994. Uh, They were an elite program throughout the 90s. And that's a long time ago, but this was a proud not program. if you're an a and fan like if you're an a right. fan that's what they yeah like oh 40 years ago that's still pretty fresh so right. <laughs> yeah uh, and for a lot of colorado fans it is right um you know i mean that was you know that was my high school and college years so um you know people know that remember that stuff and this was a once proud program and it's it's fallen on hard times and they needed a jolt especially after last year so i really think that colorado uh whatever if he's here for one year two years great just get us somewhere to where, you know, we're relevant and respected finally and uh, win some games for us because that's what they, that's what they want. That's what they need. And um, if he's only here a couple of years, uh, he leaves the program in a better spot. That's the hope. Yeah. You know, you talk about a program needing a jolt and and not to the the depths that Colorado did, but TC needed a jolt after four kind of subpar years um, it, under the final four years of Gary Patterson's tenure in Fort Worth um, was not the program that had built itself up to be. Sunny Dykes came in and, and delivered that jolt. Mm-hmm. You actually had a chance. Um, we're recording this on Monday night. This probably won't release until Wednesday. You had a chance to talk to Sonny Dykes uh, today, I believe, and and get about you know, 15, 20 minutes with him as he prepares for Colorado. Uh, what do you kind of take away from your conversation with him? And, and what's the one thing that that you think that he's really looking to and preparing for a team that really no one can prepare for because nobody has any idea what to expect of the Buffaloes this fall? Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I told you too that um, I had a chance to chat with him briefly um, at Big 12 Media Day in person. And so um, that helped to kind of, he, he knew who I was a little bit. Um, but he's such a down to earth guy. And uh, I'm not saying one's good or bad, but it's such a contrast from okay. Deion Sanders, you know, and that, um, you know, we don't have a whole lot of access to Deion Sanders because he's a celebrity, right? Um, and so um, I couldn't believe when, you know, I didn't even suggest it, but TCU's, uh, you know, sports info director was like, well, we can get him on the phone for you. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> and then he, and he was great, you know, but, um, I, I love Sonny and I think he, his program would be easy to cover by the way, from a media yeah. perspective, but Still he was fun. very, he was very no nonsense about it and, and just kind of like, Hey, whatever. I mean, we're just ready to play some football. And, um, I asked him about the challenges of, of scouting for this game and, um, you know, he's like, yeah, we, we've watched more film than we ever have before for something like this. Cause you have to watch so many different la- layers of film uh, to, to see everybody, but it was kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's just part of the, <laughs> part of the deal. And then, and then he, then he kind of said, and then you have to be prepared for the fact that, you know, all this prep you're doing, you get to game day and it just, it's different anyway. And so, yeah. you know, and you know, I, I, I came away from it thinking, I think people make too much sometimes of scouting because mm-hmm. Football is football sometimes, and and these coaches, Sonny's coached a long time. Joe Gillespie's coached a long time, right? They just know how to adjust, and and there's probably nothing that Colorado's going to do that they haven't seen, and there's nothing that TCU's going to do that Colorado coaches haven't seen. So it's really how you adjust and things like that. But um, you know, I really like the approach, and uh, I talked to Sonny about um, you know this game is interesting because I said you guys are, are coming off of being in the national championship game. Have you noticed, or has it, has it just me, or has it felt like this game is all being hyped about Colorado? And he goes, "No, that's about right." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Colorado's the one getting the attention here, and he goes, "He goes, I'm fine with it." <laughs> yeah. You know, and he did mention he goes, he thinks that the TCU players 
um, see that and that they're, they've got a little chip on their shoulder because of that. But uh, for the most part, um, he doesn't care. And he's like, fine, let them let Colorado have the spotlight. We just want to go out and play football. Well, and at the end of the day, you know, Colorado, TCU probably isn't hosting big name Saturday against big game Saturday on, on Fox, big noon Saturday. I think that's the right yeah. way to say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've had a couple of missteps, but I had, I had football practice today and it was over a hundred degrees and it was miserable. So I think my brain has melted a little bit too, but, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, if, if it's not Colorado coming, right. And if it's Colorado of a year ago, it doesn't matter. TCU played a national championship. It's just the TCU got their butts handed to him by Georgia, not TCU that's opening against coach prime. So yeah. uh, I think, you put all the attention on Colorado, but TCU really gets to reap the rewards here, which which is kind of a win-win for the Horn Frogs. Um, and, and, ha- and, you know, guess whose stadium gets to be? Yeah, exactly. It's TCU yeah. Stadium. Which so. is a gorgeous, beautiful, and I'm yeah. super biased, but like you're going to see it for yourself here on Saturday as well. I think you'll come away, again, wanting to cover TCU because it is a delightful a delightful <laughs> program and environment, other than the fact it's going to be literally 105 um, right. around kickoff. So. <laughs> How important is this opener for for Deion Sanders for Colorado? Um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a win, but do they have to kind of redeem themselves a little bit with the national spotlight? I think so. Um, it, you know, I didn't watch the NFL game on Sunday night, but you know, saw the clip where Aaron Andrews was doing a report um, where she talked about. I mean, Colorado was featured on in that game, yeah, and she talked about what Colorado was going to wear, and she said that you know, Coach Prime told her the players are going to wear sunglasses as they come out on the field. Like, you know, they're putting this spotlight, this target on themselves. I hadn't heard and, that. Wow. You know, and I mean, they're, they're going to be wearing, uh, they were sort of teased a little bit. They're going to be wearing jerseys that we've never seen before from Colorado. So okay. um, it's brand new jerseys that have never, they haven't even officially been unveiled yet, but um, you know, all white jerseys, you know, gold numbers, which you've never seen before. That's what, that's what I'm hearing. Brand new cleats that even LeBron has, you know, tweeted out that he needs to get a pair of those. So um, there's all this target on their back, right? And so if you go out and get blown out, yeah, that's uh, that that's not a good look, <laughs> you know. But if you go out and you play fairly well and you're competitive, and it's a game going into the fourth quarter, even if you lose by 17 points, but you're in it. I think that's a big deal, and that's a good thing for Colorado. And I don't think they need to win this game. To your point, I mean, if they win it, that's massive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if they're if they're competitive, I think that really sets the table for what could be a nice year for them. It's, it's going to be really interesting. I, I didn't know that about the new uniforms or any of that yeah. too. The sunglasses. Um, I, I will definitely be on the field early. I think for uh for runouts for that, that's going to be something to behold. Uh, the whole spectacle around this game that you would not normally get for you know an opener between a, a program that was you know one and 11 right. right a season ago and another team that lost by 50 plus in the national championship game it's immediately become one of the best and most exciting games of the weekend um all that being said i'm going to put you on the spot okay. how do you see this one going and if colorado wins how does it happen if colorado doesn't win what did tcu do to keep them from doing so well before I give a prediction, I'll say if Colorado wins, it's because Shador Sanders uh, has had a big game, number one, and it's because they've probably done something to cause some mistakes by TCU. They've mm-hmm. they've got a pick six, or they've caused a couple turnovers, or uh, they've returned something. You got a return touchdown, special teams touchdown type of deal. It's going to be some. Of the, I think they need something like that to win this game. Uh, but I do think TCU wins it. I think that uh, TCU is the better team, and them being at home, I think that I give them the edge. I think it'll be a competitive game. Uh, I, I see TCU winning, you know, by you know ten to fourteen points, something like that. Nothing like last year where it was thirty-eight thirteen. But um, I think 
to me, the interesting thing is going to be see uh, you're going to see if Colorado can stop the run because I'm worried about that run defense a little bit, and I know TCU can run the football, and so if if TCU is going to blow them out or win this thing, I think it's, they've got to run the football. If TCU can't run the ball, I think Colorado wins the game. Well, and it's going to be interesting too because you know we talk about all the pieces Colorado's replacing. TCU sent eight guys to the NFL. They're replacing yeah. three offensive linemen. They picked up one from Jackson State and uh, Willis Patrick. Um, you're replacing your quarterback, you're replacing your first round wide receiver, you're replacing both of your lead running backs. So there are plenty of questions for TCU on the offensive side of the ball. I think that TCU defense is really good, but Shadur Sanders certainly presents an interesting challenge for that group. Um, but offensively, you know, can, can TCU put up enough points to blow them out? I thought the spread was really, really high. I think it's like yeah. 20 and a half. That felt like a little bit egregious, um, for a team that has a lot of question marks in and of itself. Um, I think I, I, I'm with you. I think TCU wins. I don't know. It, I kind of like you've kind of changed my mind a little bit, though, because I feel like if given the opportunity, knowing all the things Colorado's doing to put that target on their back, TCU might have uh, kept their foot on the gas a little bit longer than they intended to uh, based right. on all those things. That'll be interesting to see. Um, last question while we have you. And since this yeah. is a future Big 12 rivalry, what do you expect Colorado's record to be this fall? Whew, that's a tough one. I have never really committed to a specific record. Um, I've always said, I think they'll win between, you know, four and seven games. And I will say this, the over under that I've seen is three and a half. Mm -hmm. And I think if Shadour Sanders is healthy for 12 games, he's too good for them to win uh, for them to win less than two than three and a half games. So they're going to be over if he's healthy, because I think he's that good. He makes that big of a difference. How much over four games? I don't know. Um, But I, I think that they can be a bowl team if he's as good as advertised and if Travis Hunter's as good as advertised, I've kind of in my mind settled around five and seven with that chance to get to six and six. So I have them right around there, but I guess I'll go five and seven and maybe they steal that, uh, that sixth game somewhere. And hopefully they don't steal it in Fort Worth. Uh, Brian, <laughs> if they, I'll say this, if they win on Saturday, I think they're a definite six, bowl team. Yeah. 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 I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that that can be such a tone setter for the positive, yep. but it's also an easy one to wipe away if it's a negative. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's yep. not really a, there's not much of a lose opportunity there for Deion Sanders. He can spin that a lot of different ways, but if they come and that, out and, and shock TCU, yeah. that's going to make waves. And that sort of answers your previous question, right? About how big is this game? I think yeah. it can set the tone big time for Colorado season, um, but it doesn't necessarily set it in a negative way. Yeah. And if you're TCU and you lose this game, it unravels everything early. Right. So there's a ton right. of pressure on, on the Horn Frogs. No one's talking about it, but there's a ton of pressure on the Horn Frogs handle business at home. Right. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Tell people where they can find your work and where they can find that interview with Sunny Dykes. Yeah. Buffzone.com is where a lot of my work is. And then on Twitter or X or whatever it's called yeah. at Brian Howell 33. And uh, yeah, at Buffzone, there's an article today. Well, on Monday, as we're doing this about Sonny, he's talking about um, just kind of uh, how, how they scout a Colorado, but there's going to be more on that. There was a lot of stuff I got from Sonny uh, and there'll be more later on this week on buffzone.com. And Brian is a great follow on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. Um, Great insight. A guy that you're going to want to be following now, TCU fans, because he is the guy for Colorado. And Colorado is a future member of the Big 12 and a team that TCU will have to pay attention to for the foreseeable future, not just this season, but well beyond. And I think TCU fans are all hoping that we get another return trip to Boulder ASAP because that was a great weekend for Horn Frog fans. Not just the game. But anytime you have an excuse to go to Colorado, it's a good time. It's a good place. Got to take it. (laughs) Got to take it. 
Thanks so much, Brian. We appreciate uh, your time and your insight uh, and look forward to welcoming you to Fort Worth this weekend. We'll see you this weekend. Big thanks to Brian for his time. Uh, this season is incredibly busy and I'm super thankful that um, he took time to talk to Melissa and give us a little bit of a preview of um, what we can expect from Colorado on Saturday. <clears throat> I want to take a moment though and talk a little bit about some of our sponsors because we do have two absolutely unbelievable sponsors on this program. Very thankful for both of them for their uh, participation in our show in a variety of ways. First and foremost with Hell's Half Acre. Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods is a brand that was created with Horn Frog fans in mind. And each item sold makes a direct impact on TCU students. I'm actually wearing Hell's Half Acre right now. I've got the Football Champions of 1938 shirt on. It's got a cool design on the back. Very comfortable fit. Not too baggy. Feels more like a fitted tee than just like a box cut kind of standard square tee. Uh, fits really, really well. Size is the size I normally get. I didn't have to size up or down. Super comfortable. Uh, excellent fit here for this shirt. You can check out all of their TCU gear, though, which is all from game day, polos to shirts to headwear, home goods. Uh, go to hellshalfacresg.com. Make sure you check out all of their merch, all of their um, products that are TCU designed. And again, they, they benefit uh, TCU student athletes as well. Super excited for them to be a partner of the show. Very excited to, to kind of grow that partnership throughout the football season. We've got some cool stuff kind of kind of cooking uh, and, and very excited about all of that. So hellshalfacresg.com. That's the place to go to grab your game day polo hat and more. So head over there today. And you know, What's one apparel company without another? Because we also love Home Field Apparel. Um, they've been a longtime sponsor of the show. They're a Republic of Football Network sponsor as well. So any Republic of Football Network show that you hear, you're going to hear about Home Field Apparel. That's one of the really cool things about this company is that they put their money where their mouth is when it comes to supporting the industry that is college football, the sport that is college football, and the people that cover this sport. Um, very thankful for Home Field Apparel. With them, you're going to get some incredibly soft t-shirts and hoodies. I love their hoodies. They're my favorite hoodies in the game. You guys have heard about my Big Sky Conference hoodie. I've got a couple TCU hoodies. I've got some Arkansas hoodies as well, getting back to my roots on that one. Uh, and they are, they are my favorite hoodies to rock for almost any occasion when appropriate. I throw them on in the summer when I'm cranking the AC up in my house. Um, I love, love, love their hoodies a ton. If you go over to homefieldapparel.com right now, you can use the code FROGSIN15 for 15% off your first purchase and 10% off your second purchase and beyond. That's FROGSIN15 to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. Two great sponsors, two excellent sponsorship reads, if I do say so myself. Um, but with that, let's get into a little bit of mailbag. You guys did a great job, as you have all summer, of asking questions both at hornfrogblitz.com on the message boards and on twitter thank you thank you thank you um you guys asked some awesome questions this week let's dive in and just start getting after it here paul in uh which one of the best screen names i've seen on hornfrog blitz excellent taken reference by the way asks will bubba score a touchdown this year i love bubba um, I, I love his story. I love his journey to TCU, a local kid 
who who's committed to the Horn Frogs, moved across the Metroplex from South Oak Cliff uh, to come over and and play for TCU. He isn't going to see the field this year, though. Like, let's just be super clear about that. Um, and I, I'll be honest. All right, I have some feelings about how and why he's blowing up on social media. Um, I can understand the fascination around Bubba, uh, but for me, I don't know. I I have a weird hang up about highlighting a kid because of his weight. I'll just be completely honest with you there. I've been around kids from my youth ministry days who didn't always have access to healthy food or regular nutritional options or uh, education on how to take care of yourself physically. Um, We've got to remember that so often kids don't have any control over their living situations, their food situations. and so when we're talking about a young guy who, uh, ba- when we're making a kid go viral because of his weight, I hesitate to participate in that. I don't know about his story specifically, so maybe none of that applies. But there are other things to highlight about Bubba besides his weight. Um, I know that he's down a good amount since getting on campus, and the staff has been really intentional about helping him get to a healthier weight, not just for football, but just for general health and well-being. And then from a football standpoint, you know, he's, he's a long-term project and there's nothing wrong with that. I think especially because of the prevalence of the transfer portal, we expect new faces on campus to be productive players right away when the majority of freshmen are developmental players. They're, they're not going to play right away. And there's a question later in this Q and a that, that, I, I can talk about that a little bit more. But from a football standpoint, he's a project. Everything I've heard about Puppa, though, is that he's a great kid. He lights up a room. He's got an excellent personality, a ton of energy. Um, and I would love to see more stories about that side of Bubba rather than just um, you know making him uh, a national name because of, of his current size. I know this was a lighthearted question, by the way, Paul. I just, I just turns out I needed to get up on my soapbox for a minute. Um, but, uh, but there's that. So the Iver asks who would win in a fight, a thousand horn frogs or two buffaloes. Have you ever seen a Buffalo like Iver? Have you ever seen an actual Buffalo in person? They're huge. I mean, there's one that runs around the field up at Colorado. And have you ever seen a horn frog? They're like this big, man. They fit in your hand. Like they're so small. I don't know that a thousand would be enough to take down one buffalo, let alone two. Fortunately, though, it's not a battle of the mascots on Saturday. Um, so I don't think TCU will have to worry about that. Uh, Life of a Frog asks a couple of questions here. Give me Morris over, under, and passing yards for this one, setting at 200. So two over, under 200 passing yards for Chandler Morris. I think we'll want to establish the run game in this one, so that might limit his numbers. I agree um, that the run game will be a big factor in this game, but I think TCU is going to be able to challenge Colorado's secondary, especially the safeties, um, those inside corners, and then the linebackers as well. Uh, I think the slot receivers and tight ends for TCU are are really dangerous, um, and I think they ultimately they get Morris to the over on that. So I'm going to take over 200 passing yards for Morris in this game. 
Another one from, from Life of a Frog, lovingly known as Loaf over on the site, by the way. Um, if TCU doesn't cover the 20 and a half spread, it's probably because the buffs were able to have success at blank. Um, for this one, I'm going to say keeping uh, Shudder Sanders upright. I think if TCU is able to bully Colorado up front in the trenches, uh, it's going to be a long day for that Buffalo offense. Um, if Sanders has time, though, to like make plays, especially with his legs, I think Colorado can keep it relatively close and cover the spread. Um, and they've got some talented guys at receiver, too, right? Like If you're not able to throw this Colorado offense off its rhythm, I wouldn't be shocked to see them put up some points. Um, do I think that that's how this game goes? Not necessarily, but if Colorado's going to cover and keep it close, uh, they've got the horses to do it. I just don't know how their offensive line is going to hold up throughout this game. And the last one from Loaf, uh, predict who will be this game's alpha frog on both sides of the ball. All right, I'm going to go with Jared Wiley on offense. Um, I've said it all off season, and I know Jeremy has said this over on the site as well and on the Frogcast, and Melissa said this as well. Um, this Kendall Browse offense is going to feature a ton of Jared Wiley. It relies a lot on the tight end to do a couple of different things. I think just in this game alone, Wiley presents a huge mismatch for Colorado. Um, he's 6'7", 260. Colorado doesn't have anybody on the defensive side of the ball who, who can answer that challenge. Uh, so I think Jared Wiley's primed to have a really big day on offense for the Frogs. Defensively, I, I went back and forth on a couple different guys, uh, but I'm going to go with Mark Perry on this one. Um, I kind of feel like Perry has been the forgotten man in TCU's secondary for this entire fall camp. He was second on the team in tackles last year, but all of the conversation this fall has been around Bud Clark and his availability, the Josh Foster and Nook Bradford competition. Um, and meanwhile, there's Mark Perry just kind of going about his business, doing his thing. He's, uh, to me, he reminds me a lot of like an emotional constant for this secondary. He helps kind of balance out Bud Clark's high energy and Josh Newton's emotion and uh, you know, you need that in a unit like this to keep everybody focused on doing your job, the next play, one play at a time, all the kind of cliche stuff. I think Mark Perry is that balance and that that constant um, for this TCU back end that is going to help them take their game to the next level this season. I think you see that in his gameplay. He's consistently in the right spot, especially against the run and in that short and intermediate passing game. Um, and, and so I expect Mark Perry to come out and remind everybody why he had 84 tackles last year and, and was a, a big part of the success you had in a pass defense standpoint. I'll take a sip of water here real quick. All right, TCU ball three. Should we expect to see Josh Foster start on Saturday? If so, how short is the leash? Uh, yes, I think we will see Josh Foster start. Um, when you watch fall camp and where you read reports out of fall camp and you hear over and over and over again that Foster is running with the ones, Foster is running with the ones, he's getting the bulk of the first team reps ahead of Bradford. I think that's a pretty good indicator of who's going to start. I don't know. As far as the short leash goes, I don't necessarily think he'll have a short leash, but I, I do think we'll see plenty of Bradford on the field. Um, if you think back to the secondary last year, there were five or six guys who saw a significant number of live reps. And I don't think that that necessarily changes this year, even with Namdi OBAs or moving down to the linebacker position, because you've got Perry, you've got Clark, you've got 
Foster, you've got Bradford. We've seen a lot of Chase Biddle this fall as well, uh, getting some of those first-team free safety reps when Bud Clark was out for a little while there. And he, he filled in pretty nicely, had a couple good pass breakups. Um, you know, there's there are a couple other guys who I'm, I'm forgetting about right now probably who – um, had good fall camps who are gonna who are gonna you know work their way into some time as well. Um, so I don't know that if he comes out, it will necessarily be because he had a short leash, but just because in this heat and because you have some significant depth there, you're gonna do your best to keep everybody as fresh as possible for later in the game. Papoose thirteen. Papoose is another good name. By the way, um, <clears throat> what personnel surprises might you anticipate? Is Colorado's squad really as small as they appeared to be during their nationally televised game? Well, I don't know that you can necessarily anticipate a surprise, but um, I'm really intrigued to see how the snap count breaks out at defensive end. Um, I think it's it's... Pretty pretty clear at this point that Caleb Fox and Paulo Iwale are going to get the starts. I don't have any clue what that rotation is going to look like, though. Um, you can you can assume Caleb Fox, Paulo, and, and Dom Williams are going to be your starting linemen. Um, I do think that generally TCU has a size advantage in the trenches on the defensive side of the ball. Offensive side of the ball as well, frankly. Um, <clears throat> when you start to talk about Colorado's size. But let's not fall into the trap that other schools have fallen into against TCU where you just measure the linemen and chalk it up as a win for the bigger team, right? Because every time TCU has played a big team, big 10 team, basically Wisconsin in the Rose bowl, Michigan in the Fiesta bowl, Ohio state, a couple years back, even Purdue fell into this conversation a couple times. They thought that the size of their lines automatically created a win for them. Um, yeah, size is important, but you need a little motion of the ocean too. I think I think TCU's got that. I think that the Horn Frogs do have a legitimate advantage in the trenches. I don't think that it's exclusively because of their size. I think it's because of the depth that they've got. I think it's because of some of the veteran leadership that they've got, specifically in Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker. Um, and I think from a talent standpoint, uh, they're they're a little bit ahead of where Colorado is on the offensive and defensive line at this point too. Um, so I do give TCU the edge from a size perspective, from a talent perspective, especially in the trenches. I don't discredit Colorado's ability at those positions simply because they measure a little bit smaller. I think I did a good job of, of clarifying where I stand so that if a Colorado fan hears this, they can't come after me for that they probably still will though there was a guy in the comments on youtube the other day snipping and sniping pretty confident that colorado is going to win we'll see if he comes back to the site after saturday 901 frog will we ever get a depth chart well we'll get one in week two now this is exactly how sunny dykes approached the depth chart last year we didn't see anything until after the colorado game we kind of suspected that that was because there was this huge quarterback competition between Max Duggan and Chandler Morris and he didn't want to give away who was going to be the starter even though people who were out at fall camp told y'all all fall last year Chandler Morris looked better Chandler Morris is probably going to win the job Chandler Morris is probably going to be the week one starter 
lo and behold, he was. Um, but I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily uh, any kind of tactic from Sonny. I just think that he will drop a depth chart in week two. And that's kind of what that is. I will say this, uh, kind of call back to that Horn Frog Blitz 50% off subscription that you can get right now. If you've been reading the site, you should have a pretty good idea of who's going to start where. And if you've been listening to this podcast, especially the 45 hot takes and the 40 big questions episodes, you should have a pretty good idea of who's, uh, who's going to be starting and where they're going to be starting for the Horn Frogs come Saturday against Colorado. Wag the Frog asks, who do you think are TCU's most and least favorable matchups against Colorado? This is a good question. Um, and there are a couple different directions I could go. I think the most competitive matchup we'll see between these two teams is between Colorado's corners and TCU's outside wide receivers. Um, Travis Hunter is a really great athlete. There's no way around it. Uh, he's an incredible two-way player. Does he have P5 experience? Not yet, but he was the number one, he was the number one recruit in his class for a reason, right? And, and he was going to Florida State for a reason before he ended up at Jackson State with, with Dion. I'm very excited to see him on the field Saturday. Uh, I, I want to see those matchups between him and Savion and him and Dalen Wright and him and maybe even Cordell Russell and just Warren Thompson in that mix as well and just see them kind of get after it. Um, I think that's probably one of the more even position matchups in this contest. Colorado still has a question mark at the other outside corner spot. Um, I don't know who that's going to be, except I don't think it's going to end up being a lot of Cormani McLean which was the rumor earlier in Colorado's fall camp. Uh, so we'll see who that is. Um, but uh, that's the one that I think is most even. And like I said earlier, I think TCU's most favorable matchups are in the trenches. I think their offensive line is going to be able to move Colorado's defensive line. I think the interior strength of TCU's defensive line with Williams and Deal and Tymon Mitchell, I, I think it'll make itself felt in a good way for the Horn Frogs, be, be a disruptor, uh, keep Colorado's offense um, off of its timing a little bit. TRF51 asks, do you get to talk to some of the media who make the com- who made the comment about how none of our wide receivers were, would be good enough to play for Colorado? If so, I hope you do. And when we kick their blank this Saturday, I hope that you can have some of them on and have them explain themselves. I'll be honest. I haven't talked to too many Colorado people. Um, I did a Locked On Buffs podcast a week or two ago to to kind of preview this this game a little bit i haven't talked to the guy that wrote that uh sports illustrated article um i don't want to spend a ton of time on that article to be completely honest with you but i will say this personally as someone who covers tcu who's been around the program for a long time and who also is an alum of the university i don't think that's unknown at this point i graduated from tcu I love TCU, uh, and now I cover them um, as a as a reporter, quote unquote reporter, serious media person. Um, but I try to straddle the line between these two groups that I think exist in this kind of college sports media realm. One of which approaches college football as an industry, which it is, uh, and this group kind of thinks that there's a level of seriousness with which we should report about things break things down in a way that gives people insight into what the outcome could be on any given day. Uh, I think gambling has had a big influence on this style of reporting and analysis as well. Um, And I don't think there's really a fault with this group. This is just the way they approach reporting on college football. 
the other camp kind of treats college football more like a game, which it also is, right? And I think there should be space for people to have fun, to take shots at rivals, to let the personalities that make college football great shine through kind of the more mundane, factual, newsy style of storytelling. Um, I think there's space for both of those styles of reporting. And I think there are people in this industry that do a brilliant job of blending those things together. Um, and uh, I'm really appreciative of those examples that I have for for how I go about doing my kind of take on this whole thing. But the stuff in that article that was making the rounds that a lot of people were getting fired up about, it, it doesn't fit into either of those categories, in my opinion. Because at its core, it's just simply not based in reality. And it doesn't serve as a way for people to better understand Colorado it certainly doesn't provide any kind of accurate analysis of the matchups that we'll see on Saturday. It doesn't feature any of those fun personalities of either team. It's just a fan writing about a team and taking cheap shots at players, making assessments that are completely uninformed. It was a think piece that in my mind was not grounded in any kind of reason or reality. And so I'll be completely honest with you, that stuff isn't really worth my time these days as far as engaging with it goes. There's nothing productive about that for me. There's nothing fun about that for me that can come out of an interaction with someone who thinks like that or writes like that. Um, there's just no point to that because I feel like in the end, I would be spending my time trying to bring that person back into reality to have a legitimate conversation that could be fun or productive or both. Um, but in my experience, that hasn't been the case. So I tend not to engage with that kind of stuff. That's my two cents. Y'all know me. I love to have fun, right? Like I know how to push Texas Tech fan bases buttons. We saw that all summer. We saw that last year. But at the end of the day, I think it's important to also try to look at things from a, a relatively objective perspective and also really important to keep in mind that players and coaches and their families consume a lot of this content. And um, that shouldn't dictate what you say about a team or a player, but I think it should dictate how you say it, right? And so that, that's just my two cents. I'm not going to waste any more time on, on that article. Um, I tweeted a little uh, kind of a subtweet about it. Um, it's just unhinged and, and not, not grounded in reality. So moving along, Ludacliff asks two questions yeah you asked one man you asked one on the forum and you asked one on twitter you can just put them all in one place brother it's all right first question will you be purchasing my remaining stock of chance nolan hats i'm down so bad right now please help all right folks if you've known me for a long enough time you know that i like to invest in backup quarterbacks specifically second string quarterbacks this goes all the way back to my undergraduate time at TCU. I remember, so this is my sophomore year. You'll be able to date me based on this story. Jeff Ballard was the starter. And I went down to Waco for the season opener. and It was against Baylor in that awful old stadium that they had that was nowhere near their campus. Um, so say what you will about McLean Stadium now. It is, an, it is a definite upgrade over what they had. But uh, even though Ballard started, I saw a freshman that really impressed me that day. His name was Marcus Jackson. He came in, 
Threw two second-half touchdowns, including an 80-yard touchdown to Aaron Brown. Frogs won that game 17-7. to Went on to be 11-2 and that year. I think they beat Northern Illinois in their bowl game, like by 30 or something like that. I was all aboard the Marcus Jackson train. I bought a ton of Marcus Jackson stock. And then that next year when Marcus Jackson wasn't quite cutting it, I bought some stock in, in another young kid, a kid by the name of Andy Dalton. We all know how that story ends. And so this, I say that to say this. Second-string quarterbacks, they're like bonds, right? They're good long-term investments. They won't lose you a ton of money. They might not make you the most money either, but they're a good, stable investment. But Luda, brother, third-string quarterbacks, it's like crypto, man. Boomer bust. Got to stay away from those. So I can't buy a chance to own a hat, big guy. I've already, I'm already i wearing a hat currently. So sorry about that. But uh, I hope you find a way to offload those chance Nolan hats somewhere on the blockchain. Luda's next question, though. This one comes from Twitter. Came with a really cool picture of a coffee mug um, that had a slogan on it. <clears throat> and Luda asks, are you going to do your job? And if so... How hard are you going to do your job? Luda? Brother? I'm going to do my job so hard. People will look back on this 2023 season and say, that was the hardest anyone has ever done their job. I hope that answers your question. Also, hit me up because I need one of those coffee mugs. Cuckoo for TCU. Who scores the first TD for the Frogs and who gets the first turnover? I think Amani Bailey gets the first touchdown. Rushing touchdown after a nice long drive by the Frogs. First turnover, I'm going to say Jamoy Hodge forces a fumble. And Johnny Hodges recovers it. That's what we're going with. Frog Frog asks, What's your conviction level in the win you forecasted? Assign percentages to the likelihood of these outcomes. All right, he's got five outcomes here. The first one is win by more than 30. I'm going to give that 10%. Uh, Win by 21 to 30. I'm going to give that 65%. I'm going to try and keep track of the math in my head here. Win by 11 to 20, which means that TCU doesn't cover. 15%. What am I at? I'm at 90%. With two two categories to go, win by one, win between one and ten points, five uh, percent, and then lose five percent. What did I say? Win by more than thirty, ten percent. Win by twenty-one to thirty, sixty-five percent. Win by eleven to twenty, fifteen percent. Win by one to ten, five percent, and lose five percent. Those are my conviction levels. I think TCU covers. I don't think it's like fifty to nothing or anything like that. First game, right? A lot of new a lot of new pieces on this TCU team, even more new pieces on this Colorado team. I don't think it's going to be like the biggest highest scoring game we're going to see. The unders have been hitting a lot in week 0. Uh, you know, we're going to we're going to see if the unders continue to hit in week 1. I think they will for a lot of teams around the country. You can, you factor in the heat as well. All of the hype that's been around this game. I don't think it's going to be the cleanest game we've seen from TCU. And and we haven't seen a game from this Colorado team yet. So I don't really know what to expect. Beverly Hills Ninja. JJ LaFond on Twitter asks, does the QB edge go to Morris or Sanders? What scares you most about Colorado and Dion? JJ is a Michigan writer who I got to to chat with about the Fiesta Bowl last, last 
winter. Uh, really good dude. Thankful for, for you, man, and thankful for this question. Um, I give the edge to Chandler Morris right now uh, because he's got Power 5 experience. I think that's pretty much the biggest factor in this one. Um, he's got a couple years under his belt at the P5 level. He understands what's expected of him uh, from a leadership standpoint, from a running the offense standpoint, and he's gone out and he's done it a couple times. Um, so I, I give it to Morris. That being said, I think I mean I think Shadur Sanders is a perfectly fine quarterback. I think he's got good talent. He's a capable runner. Um, he's a good good passer. He's got some weapons on the outside that I think are going to really help him out. He's got a good experienced running back who is coming off of an injury last year, who I think could make some hay as well. Um, but right now I give Morris the edge just because of that experience. Uh, let's see what scares me most about Dion and Colorado. I think it's not an on-field thing. Um, I think the hype around their program is the thing that worries me the most about Colorado and Dion, because the conversation all off-season about this game in particular has been about Dion and about Colorado and about you know resurrecting a program and. There has been little to no mention of TCU actually even playing in this football game. And you could kind of hear it on Tuesday from the players that were talking at media availability, and you've heard it throughout the fall as well. Um, They want to remind people that they made it to the college football playoff last year. They want to remind people that they are a team that could legitimately contend for the Big 12 year over year once Texas and Oklahoma leave. Um, And I wonder if they come out a little too amped because they want to remind everyone of all that stuff. Um, They want to remind people that they're three touchdown favorites for a reason, right? And that could probably lead to some silly mistakes, letting Colorado hang around and, and giving them a sense of, you know, hey, maybe we could actually pull off this upset and, and come away one and know this year. Jared Becker asks, I understand that TCU has a new OC and lost three wide receivers to the NFL. Why do people say that the wide receivers are unproven? Savion and JP have proven they can play at a high level. JoJo and Warren are maybes from the SEC. Why does TCU have a narrative that the wide receivers are a team weakness? I like the wide receiver room. Jared, I think you answered your own question there a little bit. Um, people tend to stay surface level when they're evaluating rosters for other teams at the beginning of the season. Um, I think they're just going to look at, all right, this team lost X number of players to the NFL or to the transfer portal or whatever, and they replaced them with these players. All right, let me look at their baseline stats from last year. And there isn't much context to the numbers. There isn't much context to the how and the why and the when and the where of the production of some of those guys. And so the assumption is, oh, well, they lost three receivers to the NFL draft. That position group as a whole is going to take a step back. I don't think that that's necessarily an unreasonable position to take from an outside viewpoint. And I don't think, excuse me, I don't think that TCU has anyone on the roster that is a Quentin Johnston replacement. At least not right now. Cordell probably has the best chance of becoming that in the long run. Um, But I think this year you're talking about replacing Quentin Johnson's production in the aggregate, right? So you're talking about getting something from Dalen Wright, getting something from Savion Williams, Cordell Russell being a part of that, Warren Thompson being a part of that, all the way down to 
Chase Jackson and Blake Nowell being a part of that as far as outside receivers who are producing for this offense. Um, we'll definitely see a rotation of receivers because of the depth that they've got. All of those outside receivers I just listed, Jalen Robinson is another one there, right? He's arguably the fastest guy on the team, and he's healthy, which makes me think he can maybe get back to more of the way he looked in 2020 at Central Florida than the two years after that at Central Florida and Ole Miss. Um, plus the inside receivers that they've got, right? J.P. Richardson, Savion, or sorry, J.P. Jojo, um, all these other guys that I think are just incredibly talented. Uh, none of them are Quentin Johnson. Um, none of them have to be Quentin Johnson either. And so when you pay as close attention to one team as we do, and obviously there might be a little bit of bias there as well, um, you tend to think that this is a wide receivers room that can go 11, 12 deep, right? Um, how that bears out in a football game, I'm, I'm not terribly sure yet. But I do think that there's plenty of talent in that wide receiver room and that it will be a strength for this team this year. Redgrave09 asks, <clears throat> will the Buffs walk in with sunglasses and almonds now that Dion has his own California almonds NIL deal? Will Dion find a way to mention California almonds on TV? This gives me vibes of Entourage when Vince does a shout-out to Rufus during his interview with Jimmy Kimball to get a free home studio. Redgrave, I'm going to give you my best Michael Scott impression right now from that episode of The Office where he starts watching Entourage. <clears throat> Please hold. Entourage! That's all I got. Go hear a frog. What percent of the new Colorado fans will move on to some other bandwagon once TC wins by 30? Uh, well, I think the Dion loyalty will persevere through one game. Um, I think the conversation will, shif will shift, though, right, uh, to, oh, this is year one rebuild. Let's establish some culture, yada, yada, yada. Frankly, a lot of the same conversations TCU were having this time last offseason, right? Like, TCU fans were very much a... Sonny's going to build something. We got to give him time to build it. He's establishing a culture. All of the same kind of conversations that I think we've heard from Colorado fans a little bit and we'll continue to hear throughout the rest of year one in Dion's uh, coaching career there. Um, year one for, for TCU under Sonny Dykes was not the norm for programs who have coaching changes. And I think a lot of schools around the country saw that year one success and said, well, TCU can do it we can probably do it too. Um, and I think we're going to see that that's not the norm this year, especially with teams like Colorado, probably Nebraska to an extent with year one of Matt Rule, who plays Colorado in week two, by the way. I'm very interested in that game. A few other schools around the country are probably going to experience something similar as well, like Cincinnati is another one that comes to mind. There might be some year one programs that have some good success. Think about Luke Fickle up at Wisconsin. That's a program that could that could make some noise in the Big Ten this season. Um, but just to, it, it, people got to remember that TCU year one under Sonny Dykes was not the norm. You can't expect to go win 13 games in year one with a new head coach, especially after the amount of turnover that Colorado has had this offseason. 615 Frog asks, what should our expectations be for the freshman class, specifically Jonathan Bax? Specific to Bax, uh, I think we'll see him in a rotation at linebacker, and that will be exactly what he needs to be this year. 
When you think about TCU's linebacker depth a season ago, and you look at the snap counts that Johnny Hodges and Jamoy Hodge and D. Winters had by the end of that season, it's a miracle, frankly, that they made it through that season as uninjured as they did. I mean, they were pretty banged up at times. Hodge, Hodges was dragging himself around the football field at times last year. Um, the fact that we have guys like Jonathan Bax on this roster now who can contribute in a rotational way, the fact that you've got Shad Banks on that too deep, that Marcel Brooks is back and healthy, I think TCU is set up much better at the linebacker position this year than they were last year in spite of losing D winners. Um, and it's similar to that wide receiver room argument, right? Where you had one guy who was a really big name who's no longer here, but there are a couple of guys who maybe by an aggregate could reproduce what you were getting from that one guy. Uh, kind of a money ball situation in a way. It's not as efficient probably as just having one dude who can do all of that. But the other side of that coin is, well, you've got a couple guys who can give some of those starters more of a reprieve and, you know, I hate to keep harping on the weather, but it's going to be hot on Saturday. And you don't want guys out there for 60, 70, 80 snaps. You want them out there for 45 to 55. And that can make a huge difference when you've got an entire two deep at linebacker to rotate in and out uh, to keep some of those starters fresh a little bit longer into that game. But this also, you know, so <clears throat> that's Jonathan Bax, that's the linebackers. I think we'll see a good number of freshmen play depth roles this year. Um, Bax is one of those, certainly, like I said, Marcus Deal and Zachary Chapman along the defensive line or others. Cordell Russell at receiver, who I've talked about a couple times already today, that's definitely one as well. But we need to remember, and I mentioned this uh, earlier in the show, the majority of freshmen still need time to develop into players who can contribute at the college level, especially for teams that are expected to compete at a high level in the Power Five, which is what TCU is trying to do. You can't rely on young players all of the time. And you hear Jamie Dixon talk about this from a basketball standpoint, too. You need those veteran guys who have done it before to lead the team. That's why we've seen Sonny Dykes and his staff be so intentional about the way they're addressing needs in the transfer portal. They've gone out both years and gotten veteran talent that can come into this building, help supplement the players that they're working on developing, and establish kind of a leadership hierarchy of, hey, this is what's expected of you. This is how you go about your business. This is how we do things at TCU um, and help lead those younger guys a little bit more. Uh, you can't depend on youth, and you don't see many programs in the country depending on youth at the level that I think people expect freshmen to just be able to come in and, and play and perform, right? There are those teams like Bama and Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan to a degree now, Clemson, maybe not as much recently, but in past years, who you you look across their roster and, yeah, maybe they've got a, a freshman or a sophomore quarterback or a freshman wide receiver or a D-end or something, but the majority of those teams are juniors who are elite-level players who have developed for a couple of years in the program and in the system uh, and now they're going out there and they're feasting, right? That's the level that TCU needs to get to, and that's why we've seen Sonny Dykes approach high school recruiting and the transfer portal the way that he has is because he understands the formula to get TCU to where those other teams are from a talent standpoint, from a development standpoint, and from a transfer portal standpoint. So there are a lot of freshmen that I think could have an impact this year, 
But if we get to the point where TCU is overly reliant on freshmen, I think that that becomes a problem in and of itself. Army Frog Fan asks, is Cordell far enough along to expect to see him get a jump ball or two in the red zone? I think so, right? Uh, I think as far as red zone targets go, uh, there's probably a long line in front of him. Uh, you know, Jared Wiley, Savion Williams, Dalen Wright, J.P. Richardson, J- uh, JoJo Earl, Jalen Robinson. I think all maybe are ahead of him for red zone targets right now. Chase Curtis is probably on that list as well as the, the second tight end. DeAndre Rogers, probably another tight end that's that's in that conversation. But he is an athletic big target who can go up and high point the ball. We saw that all fall camp. Like as soon as the guy got on campus, he was making plays like that. And um, I just don't know where he sits as far as depth is concerned. But I wouldn't be shocked to see him out there. I wouldn't be shocked to see him out there at all. J.D. Cashin asks, Aside from Hunter, exactly how well did Colorado do in the transfer portal? Did they replace last year's team with a bunch of all-stars like we're hearing? Well, <clears throat> they certainly replaced in bulk. I think they brought in like 50 guys from the portal this offseason. It's pretty unheard of. Um, as far as the talent goes for those portal players, I think they did well. I don't. Uh, they're not all four stars, um, but that's not a reasonable or realistic expectation for any team, frankly, to bring in former four stars left and right. Um and I think a lot of these guys still have some developing to do. Uh, I don't know how much you can do in one offseason when so many guys are coming from so many different places and all trying to learn the same system at the same time. Um, it's such a unique situation that Colorado finds itself in for a variety of different reasons that uh, you know I, I have no doubt that there are some guys on that roster that are very talented. I mean, you've got Hunter, like you mentioned. You've got Shadur Sanders. Some of the guys they got from like Washington and Tennessee and Florida State – should all be good contributors. The South Florida receivers they got have some hype around them. The running back that they got has some hype around them too. But I think it's really important to remember, this is the first time these guys are playing a live game together. It could very well turn out to be a talented team down the road. They're certainly a good group of kids, but week one, when everything is still new, against TCU, in Texas, in that heat, as your first game experience together is such a huge challenge. It's just such a huge challenge. And I think that more than anything else is why people are favoring TCU by as much as they are in this game. There is, I think, a general talent gap between the two teams. Um, And I think that, along with all of the other underlying circumstances, are why we see the line where it is for this game, which is at 20.5. Frog Fan Fever. What will the running back and wide receiver rotations look like, particularly wide receiver, where there are like 12 or 13 guys right now who on paper could reasonably get playing time? All right, I hit this a little bit. I'm going to run it real quick, though. At running back, I think the rotation is going to be Bailey, Sanders, who's on a pitch count, Corey Wren, Trent Battle. We know Cam Cook won't play. Sonny Dyke said as much in his Tuesday press conference. He's dealing with a minor injury. Bailey, Sanders, Wren, Battle in that order at running back. The first wave of wide receivers that I expect to see. Savion Williams, J.P. Richardson, JoJo Earl, Warren Thompson. Jamie, why Warren Thompson? He's played in Kendall Brown's system for the last three years. He's talked about being a guy who's translated a lot of this offense for other wide receivers, and he had a very good fall camp. That's why I think Warren Thompson ahead of some other guys. We will also definitively see 
Jalen Robinson, Chase Jackson, Cordell Robin, Cordell Russell, Dylan Wright, and Jack Besh. We're going to see all of those guys. There's a very good chance that we're going to see DJ Allen and Major Everhart as well. That's 11 receivers, I think, that I just mentioned. And that doesn't include the playing time that Jared Wiley and Chase Curtis are going to get. That doesn't include the possibility of seeing DeAndre Rodgers at tight end as well. Um, that's 14 deep pass catchers, not including running backs out of the backfield, that Chandler Morris is going to be able to throw to, that Kendall Bryles has to figure out what that rotation looks like. Um, a wealth of talent. I don't envy him trying to find snaps for everybody. That's a tough job. Michael Wagner, TC Wags, asks, what do you think the splits will be on offense? Will we be a run-first team percentage between running and passing plays? I'll say 60-40 run to pass, especially early on this season. Um, it's a good way to get the offensive line into a rhythm when you're trying to introduce three new starters on that line, especially against a defensive line that will be on a little bit on the smaller side. It won't give that D-line an opportunity to maybe use speed to disrupt the passing game as much if you establish that run it'll force Colorado to maybe move the linebackers up a little bit more to help with the run and that might open up some things in other areas so it's kind of my thought process there JK Swint asks if you had to pick one TCU player to start on your college fantasy football team this week who would it be uh give me JP Richardson I picked Jared Wiley earlier on the show to be my frog dog or whatever alpha frog I think from a fantasy standpoint the number of catches that JP's potentially going to have, uh, the number of yards, potentially a score. I think he's he's the fantasy option one. I think Jared Wiley's fantasy option two for me this week. Sanju at Sanju Singh asks, do you think Josh Hoover will get some plays if TCU is winning with the bigger margin? I would love to see him get some playing time and be ready in case of any uncertainties. I think it's safe to say that if TCU is up by three or more touchdowns in the fourth quarter, we'll see Josh Hoover play along with some of the younger wide receivers, some of the younger offensive linemen. But it's a balance, though, really. I mean, on the one hand, you're trying to get the first-team guys as many live reps as you can in a new offense. And on the other hand, having some guys with experience who are typically going to be your backups is also a good thing. But you realize, too, you don't have to get it all done in week one. If they're winning a big game against Colorado, they do have the option to do that, the opportunity to get some other guys some time. But you're also playing Nichols in week two. It's an FCS opponent. That's a pay-to-win game, to be completely honest. Like, if we're just being blunt, that's a game TCU's going to win, and they're going to win by a massive margin. So you also have that opportunity in week two to get some guys a good number of live reps, to get some backups, some more playing time. Uh, and then you head into that week three matchup hosting SMU feeling pretty good about where you are with your depth and with your roster as a whole. Man, that was a lot of questions. We knocked them all out, though. Thank you, thank you, thank you for asking them, whether that was on hornfrogblitz.com or on Twitter. Shout out to all of you for doing that. Shout out to Melissa for sitting down with Brian Howell of buffzone.com. You can find all of his reading over there at buffzone.com. Get the Colorado perspective on this matchup that's coming on Saturday. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. That's going to do it. For this episode of Frogs Insider, I appreciate each and every one of you. Once again, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a comment on the video below. And if you're listening wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you're following the show. Leave us a rating and review. That helps us get in the ears of more frog fans everywhere. We're growing at a crazy rate. Super thankful for all of you. Let's keep this show growing and rolling. Shout out to our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods and Home Field Apparel. And we will see you Monday morning with a breakdown of TCU's game against Colorado.
Until then, go Frogs.